0: We have the privilege tonight to look at, I think, one of the greatest topics that could ever be talked about, Uh, and yet it's really sad, and I think revealing of the tragic state of the church at large, that this is one of the most neglected topics that is talked about or practiced. It is the topic of the prayer meeting. You're here for the prayer meeting, so I'm preaching to the choir Um, But nonetheless, I picked a topic because I love it, and we can't teach on it enough, uh, and I hope that it will spark more conversation. I hope that we can encourage one another and talk with one another and encourage uh, those in our church family to think and consider and ponder deeply the importance of the prayer meeting. So, If you have your Bible, turn to Joel chapter 2. If you haven't yet, Joel chapter 2, it's one of the minor prophets. Now, they're called minor, not because they're less important. They're called minor prophets because of the shortness of their size. They're much briefer than the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. So there are 12 of the minor prophets, and we're looking at Joel chapter 2, and we're going to focus primarily on verses 15 through 17. And tonight, I I want to preach on the beauty and the necessity and the efficacy, which means the power, of the all-church prayer meeting. I'll say it now, and then we'll pray and jump in, but um, I believe that this gathering on Wednesday night is the vital, essential, energizing force, the power of the local church. We could, I I could preach, we could evangelize, we could disciple, we could do care groups, but if, if we don't pray, if we don't call for God's power, if we don't beg for God's power, even together as a family of believers, we don't want to engage in just a a human-empowered ministry, that's not going to change hearts. We, We want divine power. We want God's power. And so the prayer meeting, I think, is one of the great ways that we can do that together. So let's pray, and then we'll look into the Word. Father, now as we come to The time of looking into your word at a topic that I think is so important for all of us to hear and all of us to be crystal clear from the word of God as to how vital and foundational and essential the prayer meeting is. Oh God, would you give us an even heightened enjoyment and commitment to the prayer meeting? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe that the Bible teaches that prayer is the life of the church. A church with prayer has life. A church without prayer is lifeless. Charles Spurgeon was writing on the topic of the prayer meeting, and Spurgeon said, Quote, we will never see much change for the better in our churches. Now, he's writing in the 1800s, okay? He said, We will never see much change for the better in our churches in general until the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. Now, we could sit here and say, Well, we have a prayer meeting. Okay, it isn't to be a prideful thing. Let's grow we can excel still more in our love for and preparation for and commitment to the prayer meeting in the church. Uh, I don't think we can devote too high esteem to the prayer meeting and the importance of the prayer meeting. A prayer, indeed, corporate prayer, is, I think, the most intimate and powerful and life-giving and supernaturally empowering activity that we could ever do together corporate prayer. Listen to James 5, verse 16. James says, brethren, pray for one another. Colossians 1, 3, the apostle Paul says, we give thanks to God for you. That's we. We are thanking God for you. In Jude, verse 20, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Spirit. In Nehemiah chapter 9, they prayed together, that is the returned exiles from Babylon, they prayed together for a fourth of the day, gathered together at the water gate. In Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 4, when Jehoshaphat was king, all Judah gathered together to seek the Lord. A church that prays together stays together. A church without prayer is like a house without a roof, open to all the storms of life. A church without prayer is lifeless, with a name that they might be alive, when in fact it may be dead. I want to look at Joel chapter 2 tonight, and this is a wonderful three-chapter little book. It would take you probably 15 minutes to read. It's not real long, but it's all about the day of the Lord. How Joel, a man of God, a prophet, a preacher of old, he takes a historical national calamity, like a 9-11 type thing, but on a bigger scale, which was a locust plague. It ate all their crops. Okay, so a historical locust plague, and, and Joel says, chapter 1, look at how bad that was. Chapter 2 and 3, that's nothing compared to what God is going to do in the future day of the Lord. So he takes a national calamity and he draws a bridge to the future calamity that God will bring in the day of the Lord, the tribulation that will be followed by the kingdom. But in the middle of all of that, look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Follow with me. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast and proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, Weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? You know, the prophet Joel, the word, the name Joel, Yoel, means Yahweh is God a fitting title, a fitting name for this man because his book is all about the judgment that God will bring and the hope that is available to those who turn to him. And even though God will judge Israel for her apostasy with a locust-like devastation in the future, God will surely bless his people greater than they have ever known before. But God brought a great disaster in the past, and he's going to bring a great disaster in the future as well. And yet, right in the middle of all of that is the preacher, the prophet, saying, we got to pray. We need to pray. Look at verse 15 again. Blow a trumpet in Zion. A solemn assembly, the verse ends. Verse 16, gather. I mean, all the imperatives. Gather the the elders and the children and the infants and the bride and the groom. Gather everyone together. And then verse 17, let the leaders lead by example and mourn. God, your glory is at stake. God, we want you to honor your name and to honor and protect (laughs) your people. When you look around and you think, the state of the church is not very healthy. When we look around at our world and we think, man, our world is a mess. When we look around at our own lives and we think, man, we can be so distracted so often. What do we do? Joel rises up and he says, let's pray. And let's come together and pray and call upon the Lord. Desperate times call for desperate prayer. Desperate times call for corporate prayer. And that's what Joel is calling for. Oh, if we had the time, I would love to elaborate on all of these brief points. But let me just talk for a moment about the privilege of prayer. Ponder with me the privilege of prayer that the almighty God who has a name, according to Isaiah 40, for every star, he holds out his hands. He says, ask whatever you wish, whatever you want. And we all know the promises. It will be done for you. We know the power of prayer, that prayer can do whatever God can do. Do do we hear that? I mean, do we really believe that prayer can do whatever God can do? Why? Because we're coming to God, and we're calling on the name of God. God loves to hear and answer prayer. Think on the third possibilities of prayer, the possibilities. There are endless possibilities endless. We could go on and on with biblical examples of possibilities of how God answers prayers of men and women, young and old, in the most desperate situation of life, and God hears any he answers. Consider forth with me the primacy of prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian, and it's the lifeblood of the church. It is primary. It is preeminent. It is important. It's not like, well, we need to pray to prepare us for ministry. No, prayer is engaging in the ministry and in the spiritual battle. Fifth, we need to think about the purifying nature of prayer because prayer actually purifies the church because when we pray together, it prevents gossip slandering and uh, lies, it purifies us by binding us together. Also, when we think about prayer, we consider the peacefulness of prayer. It, it, there's something unifying when we pray together. It, it, it's very intimate. It's very family-like. We're coming to God together as our Father, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So this afternoon, this evening, what I want to do is preach on the great topic and the life of the church, the power of the church, the grace in the church. I think it's the unifying joy in a local church. I think quite honestly, it's what makes the church distinct from the world in the truest sense, and that is the all church prayer meeting. So follow with me. Let's just kind of walk our way through Joel And there's plenty of other scriptures that I'll bring in as we go through. But let's talk about this together. Number one, in your outline, notice the first heading, attention. Joel wants to get our attention. And he wants to get the attention of the original audience in Israel. In verse 15, he says, blow a trumpet in Zion. I think of it like God turning on the open air preaching amplifier. And he turns the volume all the way up through the preacher, Joel, and he says, may I have your attention? Maybe that's too kind. Let me have your attention. Let me have your attention. Same thing in chapter two, verse one, blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. In Amos chapter 3 verse 6, Amos said, if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? Why? Because when trumpets were blown, action was required. And we know that because in Joshua chapter six, God told Joshua, when they're entering the the city of Jericho, you need to go around the city. And on the final day, you blow the trumpets and then the walls will fall down. And then you go in and you conquer the city. When you hear the sound of a trumpet, you go to battle. You you got to engage. You got to take action. And that's what Joel is doing in chapter 2, verse 15. It's like saying, blow the trumpet. We need full attention to prepare. Heads up. Action needed. God wants his people to wake up and have their full attention given to God. Something is going on. Yeah, you know, we understand this, don't we? i mean, in an inclement weather. Maybe there's a tornado siren that may go off. It alerts us to something to take action. Or, or maybe in, in the dark days in which we live, if there's a breaking news or some alert that happens, and we understand these things that sort of interrupt our schedule and they say, let me have your attention. Well, we live in very, very wicked days. And divine wrath is coming, like Joel prophesied. And the wrath of God is incensed, and churches need power, and we long for conversions. And Joel is saying, we need to blow a trumpet in Zion. We need to consecrate a fast and proclaim a solemn assembly. I think if we need attention, we need to think about this simple truth of gaining An intolerable burden. Remember how Al Baker, our friend, calls it? He calls it an intolerable burden, meaning I have a grief over the status quo of my life, or the status quo of the state of the church, or the status quo of our pursuit of God. I I wanna grow, I wanna intensify, I wanna be greater, I wanna have greater zeal in my pursuit of God. Daniel 9 was a man with an intolerable burden. Chapter 9 is Daniel's prayer. Ezra chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9, is a very intense prayer to God. Attention, let's gain an intolerable burden. We need to take action. If you look in your outline, I have a quote there by Samuel Chadwick. I think we all know the name Leonard Ravenhill. Samuel Chadwick was the discipler of Leonard Ravenhill. And Chadwick said this, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saint from praying. He doesn't fear our prayerless studies or our prayerless work or our prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But Satan trembles when we pray. Attention, blow the trumpet, get everyone's attention to hear something. And what is it? Number two in your outline, assemble, assemble. Maybe in modern vernacular, point one could be send out the text alert to everyone. Everyone, attention, urgent, we need help. What do we do? Number two, assemble. And this is what Joel says in verse 16. Notice all the imperative commands. Notice this. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and let the bride come out of her bridal chamber. You know, this isn't anything new to Joel. In fact, the Old Testament says a lot that God has called the congregation together. For example, Leviticus chapter 8 verse 3. When God was instituting and beginning the priesthood through Aaron and his sons, God said, assemble all the congregation at the tabernacle. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 10, God said, assemble all the people so they can hear my words. Or... New Testament, Acts 4, verse 31, the whole church gathered together and they prayed. The word gather, sanctify, assemble, gather everyone together, the young, the old, the children, bring them, assemble them all together. Notice the the groups that are mentioned here the congregation as a whole, and then he mentions the elders. That probably is the Hebrew word for the old people, the gray-headed ones, the older ones. And then he talks about the small children, maybe the three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds, and then the nursing babies are even mentioned. Bring them to the prayer meeting? I mean, they might be loud, but Joel says, bring them. Bring the whole congregation, the younger, the older, and everyone in the middle. Bring them even, verse 16, notice the bridegroom and the bride. Let them come out of their bridal chamber. Why? Because what is about to happen is of urgent importance. As important as it is for the bride and the groom to be together and enjoy the festivities of their marriage, here is a call from God through Joel to the people, even the bride and the bridegroom come and assemble. Why? Why is assembling together that important? Let me just roll off a few reasons why the prayer meeting is important. Number one, it reminds us that God is God, meaning we're not, meaning we pray to the one who is the omnipotent designer and creator and merciful God. The prayer meeting is important because it reassures us that God alone saves. When we pray together for God to save people, it reminds us that we can't do it, but God alone must do it. Why the prayer meeting, third, it unites us together. It really does have a unifying effect in the local church. And number four, it weakens the devil. He's not all powerful, but he is quite powerful. And it weakens the devil. By that, I mean he doesn't have control. He doesn't have his power over a church when we pray together, When we call upon the Lord together. Why the prayer meeting? Number five, it is a means of grace. It actually is one of the ways that God has given to grow us in our faith. To meet together to pray. It humbles our pride. Number six, when we pray together, it humbles our pride. And number seven, it accomplishes great things. Number eight, it energizes believers Number nine, it brings power from God and it inflames Christian love. Number 10, I want to share just briefly, even to the children here, teenagers on down to the younger ones. Sometimes young, younger people might think, how, how could God use me? You know, the prayer meeting is maybe for the older people, maybe they're the ones praying, but the, the boys and girls may not be the ones praying. In Scotland, in the year 1742, in April, there were 16 young people that gathered together in a little town. They had gathered actually in a barn to pray. Their pastor was a man named Mr. Burnside. He heard of it. He heard that these young children began to gather together and pray, and so their pastor began to meet with them, and the group continued to grow in intensity and in numbers. They grew, and many were so impressed with their love for God and looking at their example in love for God, they joined the prayer meeting. Soon after, there were 120 young people in this Scottish village that gathered together to pray. Could you imagine after church, a group of young people saying, let's meet in the nursery and we'll pray together. Let's go uh, to the counseling room, the conference room upstairs, and we'll pray together and we'll call upon the Lord. The pastor said, why not encourage more children's prayer meetings? Jonathan Edwards, the great man of revival that God used in many ways, he remarked how children gathered to pray in his congregation in times of refreshing or revival, as he called it. It was some while ago, even in the state of Maine, that young people gathered to pray. And this is what stirred up the older folks in the uh, the congregation to greater Christ-likeness and service. Wow, we're looking at the children gathering to pray. Well, we ought to do that as well. And God used the children to stir up the older people for prayer. Even in the days of the Scottish persecutions, children would often organize and they would run and they would meet together for prayer meetings. And we think, oh, that God would do that again in our day. That God would use many of the children in our church to lead in prayer. That's what Joel wants. Not just the older people, not just the minister, not just the prophet, but gather the children and even the nursing babies and let's assemble together. And then third, what do we do? In your outline, we approach. I need your attention, Joel says. We need to assemble. Number two, what do we do? We need to approach God. We got to go to the throne. I give you a quote. In your outline, I think, by E.M. Bounds, I forget what I put there. E.M. Bounds put it like this. What the church needs today is not more machinery or, or not new organizations or more novel methods or nor more programs. We don't need that but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. <laughs> what, what what do we do? Joel, prophet, you gathered us all together. We, we've, got, we've got the wives and the husbands and the children and the nursing children and the older ones and the bride and the groom. What do we do? Look at Joel 2, verse 16. 17, 17. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep. Why? Because times are dark and they're about to get Rougher. And the judgment of God is coming. You think that the national calamities that we've seen are bad. Joel is saying, we've seen nothing yet. Weep between the porch and the altar in the in the temple area. That would be kind of a thirty foot wide by a fifteen foot deep area right outside the temple, leading to the altar. Deep repentance, mourning. Mourning, weep between the porch and the altar. And what do they say? They say, spare your people. Spare your people. In the Hebrew, the word spare could be an urgent call for have mercy. Have mercy on us. We are living in desperate days. We feel like we're being consumed by the wicked. We feel like there's no light hardly anywhere shining anymore. God, have mercy on us. And don't make your inheritance a reproach. Don't let us be a byword among the nations. Why should the nations say, where is their God? In other words, God, it's not about us. It's about your honor. It's about your name. It's about your glory. Why why should the ungodly look at us and mock us? Where's your God? What What a powerless people. What an impotent people. What a meaningless gathering. Rather, it's like Joel saying, God, for the sake of your name, And for the sake of your glory, God, act and have mercy on us so that when the world looks at us, they think there's something different about that group. There's something that happens to those people when they meet together. When we pray, we approach the throne of grace. When we pray, we entreat the glory of God. When we pray, we pray for the advancement of the gospel. Or as I've been learning, the Christians of old did not pray for things. They prayed through things. Meaning you pray, you pray, you pray until it happens. You pray it through you don't just pray once and then stop. You pray, you pray, you pray on, and you pray through until God hears and answers that prayer. We pray for a revival from heaven. We, we intercede for the church of God. You see it there in your notes. I suppose we could summarize the prayer meeting. What do we do and what do we pray for in three simple ways? We pray, number one, for the glory of God. We pray, number two, for the good of the church. We pray, number three, for the conversion of the wicked. I do find it intriguing when you read Luke chapter 11. When Jesus is praying publicly, one of the disciples comes to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Nowhere in the record does a disciple say, teach me to preach like that, or teach me to be an administrator like that, or teach me to be uh, whatever, an innovative, creative leader. No, no, no. Teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Now, real quick, take your, your Bible and go to Acts chapter 1. I, I want to take a few minutes with you, and I want to do a jet tour blitz through the book of Acts, and I want to show you how important the prayer meeting is in the book of Acts. So you we're reading Joel, and you think, Joel was written such a long time ago. That's Old Testament Israel. True. But if he was living in desperate days, how much more are we living in desperate days? And if God raised up the man Joel, say, let's, let's gather together and pray, How much more do we need to gather together and pray in the church as well? And that's what the book of Acts teaches us. You know, we we might call it the Acts of the Apostles, or maybe more appropriately, appropriately, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, working through his people as they pray. So follow with me just quickly. Acts 1 verse 14 After they pick the 12, uh, they mention the 12 apostles and they're praying for the one to replace Judas. Verse 14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They're praying together. Look at verse 24 near the end of the chapter. And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show to which one of the two you have chosen to occupy the ministry. That's the prayer meeting. They're praying together. Look at the end of chapter 2, Acts two forty-two. At the day of Pentecost, when the thousands were added to the the believing number, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. What were Peter and John doing? They were going to corporate prayer. They were going to pray in the temple with the believers. Look at chapter 4. One of the great chapters on the prayer meeting, Acts 4:23. Acts 4:23 Peter And John have been beaten, and they have been imprisoned, and then they were released, verse 23, and they go to their own companions, and they report all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord, and they said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth. Look at verse 31, Acts 4, 31. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Look at chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. Now, here they are in the early church. They have a massive need. And in Acts 6, a division is about to ensue, and yet they have to bring about almost like a proto-deacon. It's almost like the beginning of the deacon office. In Acts chapter 6, verse 6, And these they brought before the apostles, these men, these names, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Skip to chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. Now in Acts 12, Peter has been arrested and act 125 peter was kept in the prison but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church To God. So then, down in verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And Peter, when he was miraculously released from jail, he knocked at the door, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. I mean, they're having the prayer meeting for him when he goes to knock. Chapter 13, here's the first missionary journey. Well, who do we send out as our missionaries? What do we do? Acts 13:3 Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them they sent them away. There they are praying. Chapter 14, chapter 14 verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, and having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, you get the point. But two more. Some of the most, I think, intriguing to me. Go to chapter 20. The end of Acts chapter 20. And it's Acts 20. It's after Paul... Is giving his farewell message to the Ephesian elders. We're reading a book on that now in Acts 20. But in Acts 20, verse 36, notice this at the end of that whole discourse, Paul is with fellow elders. And he said these things, verse 36, and he knelt down and he prayed with them all. I love that. They're kneeling, praying together. And they began to weep aloud and they embraced Paul and they repeatedly kissed him, grieving over the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. Just a couple of verses after that, look at chapter 21, verse five. When our day is there, were ended, that is in the city of Tyre, we left and started on our journey. And while they all, get this, with the wives and the children, they escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Do you see the prayer meeting? They're kneeling, they're together. The wives and the men and the children Praying to God. Let me see if I can help us think through this practically, very quickly before we draw this to a close, and then pray. Number one, you have in your notes there a pastoral plea. When we have membership classes, deliberately and intentionally, we mention to all those who are considering membership, come to the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Come, make it a point. It is the pastoral encouragement, the strong encouragement to every member, if possible, to be at the prayer meeting. It is to be be a warm time, a humble time, an affectionate time as a family, family time. We're not here to debate. We're not here to compare. We're not here to compete. We're here as a family coming before God together. We can pray for things great, and we can pray for things small. We can pray genuinely from the heart. Some particulars, even when we pray, we can keep prayer short. God God is not impressed with our long prayers. We can keep it short. They don't have to be formalistic, but they can be full of passion and full of life. they They don't have to be vague and unspecific, but neither should they be overly personal. But it's not about being prideful. It's not about being heard in front of people. It, it's heartfelt. It's warm. It's encouraging with one another like a family. So let me give you number two in your outline, some encouragements. I think one of the ways that we can support the prayer meeting is by number one, prayer ahead of time. And then number two, our attendance and presence at the prayer meeting to show its importance in our lives. And there's a lot of ways in which we can read through some of these important principles on the importance of the prayer meeting, teaching our children, leaving a legacy. Prayer is the normal means that God uses to shower his blessing on the earth through the church. So how do we keep the prayer meeting vibrant and not dull? How do we how do we keep this vibrant and not dull? I want to read these and I think I give them here in your in your outline. Hopefully these will be helpful. What can you do? Number one, let the prayer meeting sprout and live in your heart. Number two, consider like ahead of time, a scripture verse or passage to offer up in a prayer. Number three, at home, pray for the prayer ahead of time in your family worship or personal prayer time. Next, pray for Christ's power and the richest blessing upon us when we pray. Make it a solemn duty and habit and privilege to attend on time and regularly and cheerfully as the Lord wills. And above all, may I encourage you to actually pray at the prayer meeting. You know, I think of the children if if we were to ask all the children here or young people here or any of us here, hey, if if somebody you really admire or look up to or a or a preacher or 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 a or a movie star or a musician if they were to be here next week, would you be here? Paul Washer. MacArthur John Piper, whoever, whoever, well, that's not going to happen. But something far greater will happen. Jesus will be the guest at every prayer meeting. I think about putting my children in the place where God in the fullness of his presence is known. I think about putting my, my family, I, I think about our church family, I think about, about our, our, ourselves in the very presence of Christ in all of his radiant glory. Revelation 1, he walks among the lampstands. Matthew 18, verse 20, in the context of church discipline, to be sure, but it's also in the context of prayer and asking God for things. In the context of church... He says, I am there in their midst when they pray. I think we do well to remember the importance of the prayer meeting. So I'm done. We can preach on the prayer meeting. Let's engage in prayer and actually pray. You know, I don't know if there is a church that is ever more like the New Testament church than when the church is praying. May that be true for us, even